Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Praise God. I'm so glad you're here today. This is your first time listening to me today. Hello, I'm Pastor Ed Spagnoli. We come to you from McKinney, Texas, and this is Gospel Saving Church, one of God's true churches of these last days. We always start with a word of prayer to ask God to help us understand the message because we know that we can't understand the Word of God except for it be by the Spirit of God. So if you guys would please join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we uh, thank you for uh, bringing us here today. We thank you, Lord God, for your love and grace and mercy. Uh, we pray, Lord God, that this message would either strike the hearts of us as believers and, Lord, uh, that we would actually be doing the things that you want us to do. Lord, as we were just discussing, Lord, as a church, Lord, there's only two main things that we should be doing, Lord, after we come to know you. And that's, number one, loving you with all our lives and all our hearts and all our minds and all our souls and all our strengths. And, and Lord, and, and after we love you that way, Lord, we should obey you. Lord, find the things out in your word that you want us to do and then obey you. And God, I pray that that would be an end result, Lord, a stronger end result, Lord, for those that are listening to me today, Lord God, that are yours. Lord, that we would move closer and nearer toward those goals and being complete in you in those goals, Lord God, as we move on in our lives and as we wait to come and see you for, for forever when we're done here with this life. And Lord, I do pray for those that are listening to this message that are not yours, Lord, that have never come to surrender to you, have never come to love you at all, Lord, and just have a mental knowledge of you, Lord. I pray for them, Lord, that this message would, would spark them to, to seek you, Lord, would spark them to surrender, Lord, that your love would motivate them, Lord God, to turn to you. And so, Lord, we pray, I pray, Lord, that you would help all of us understand these words that I'm going to speak today understand the words that you're going to speak to us from your word and that your Holy Spirit would illuminate us, Lord God, and, and help us, Lord, not just to be hearers of these words, but, Lord God, doers of these words as well, too. For, for Father, it's not, your word says, it's not the hearer that's of the word that's, that's blessed, it's the hearer that does, Lord God, that's blessed. So, Lord, please make us all, uh, me speaking and those listening all over the world, May we be hearers and doers of your word and help us understand by your Holy Spirit so we could do according to the way you want it done, Lord, not according to the way we want to do it or we think it ought to be done. There's a way that seems right to a man, but that way leads to death, Lord. Your way leads to life. So we thank you, we love you, and we praise you, and we ask all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty and holy and precious name. Amen. So we're going to be in Acts chapter 16 today. We're going to finish the chapter, verses 25 through 40. The title of our sermon today is A String of Supernatural Miracles. Actually, a string of super, supernatural miracles. Excuse me, because they are super, supernatural today, the way God does things. So Acts 16, 25 through 40, you can listen along or you can just read along with me, whatever you'd like to do, but I'm going to read the section of Scripture, and then I'm going to teach it. The Bible says this in verse 16, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeking, and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. 
But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour at night of the night, excuse me, and washed their stripes. And immediately him and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. When it was day, the magistrates sent the, sent the officers, saying, Let these men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that, the, that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and they departed. Refresher time. So since we had a topical stand-in sermon last week, I was compelled to give like a refresher sermon this week. Uh, just, a, just a refresher section this morning uh, on the information we were studying before we continue on the section of Scripture that we're in now. And in case you didn't notice, when we first started reading out there in, in verses or in verse 25, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing. You maybe listen to this sermon and be like, well, I don't what, what came before this? I don't know what Paul and Silas singing. That just almost sounds, kind of sounds like we stopped off in the middle. Well, we did. We, we kind of stopped off in the middle of a section. God had given me a word for uh, the, the first kind of part of this message or first part of this whole ordeal that Paul and Silas were going through. And then we had a break for a week and then we're back now. So I'm going to give us a refresher. Uh, two weeks ago in our verse-by-verse -verse teaching through Acts, we stopped right in the midst of the whole account here with Paul and Silas. So uh, here we go. Two weeks ago, remember Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, remember these four missionaries were in Macedonia staying with a disciple named Lydia. The reason they were in Macedonia was, remember, because God had closed some doors for the work that they wanted to do in Asia. God said, I don't want you to go in Asia. No, you're not going to preach in Asia. You're going to go on to Macedonia and because God gave Paul a vision. And while our missionaries were in Macedonia, they were loving and serving and worshiping God and Jesus Christ, if you remember correctly, along with Lydia and all the other disciples that were there. Two weeks ago, we began this account in verse 16, and it began when Paul and his crew were going to pray in a certain place where we read about a slave girl, remember. The slave girl, demon-possessed, came about, and they, she, she found them, and so she started following them around, and she started crying out and yelling out, uh, behold, these men, you know, th things like, I'm not quoting the scripture exact here, but she, she kept following around, yelling out, hey, these men are preached the word of truth, and, and they come from, you know, they preach the most high God, and, and you know, that they're, they're they preached the way of salvation, and she can, and, and that's a good thing, of course. But of course, we know that although that's a good thing, she was yelling and being annoying. And, and as she kept yelling, of course, what kind of work could they do? What kind of concentration could they have? What kind of prayer could they have? So, of course, Paul he gets to his breaking point with her after some time of her yelling after them. So he simply turns around, rebukes the demon, as all as all true born again Christians can do even to this day. And the slave girl gets delivered of the possession. Now, praise God, although that was a really good thing for the poor slave girl, 
her owners didn't really think it was good at all, for they loved the money that she brought for the demon, gave this girl some supernatural ability to do some, some crazy stuff that they made money on. So in their raging anger, remember, they dragged Paul and Silas to some magistrates in their city and hence uh, bring on them some really terrible consequences. Remember, if you don't, unless if you were there, Paul and Silas get stripped of their clothes. They get flogged with hard wooden sticks, uh, receiving many stripes all over their bodies, leaving their bodies bloody all over. Then they get thrown into a dungeon or a prison where their feet are shackled and to await who knows what. Now... Just a break on that, uh, FYI, Christians in the whole world, I don't know if you know this, but the Bible says that Jesus says that this could happen to us at any time. And this kind of thing is happening to some Christians all over the world right now in certain countries. So please, Christians, beware that this kind of thing could happen to us now. The Bible never promises us that it'd be easy to follow Jesus Christ. You're only going to hear that kind of stuff from those preachers and pastors that are the modern false day or modern day false teachers. So, so enough of our refresher. We we open up with Paul and Silas still in prison in their inner dungeon and still with their feet shackled. Pick up with me again, verse twenty-five, for the teaching. I'm going to read it over. We're going to talk about it again, twenty-five. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Now, wait a minute. Now, now something has to stick out there to you as a sharp contrast. Didn't I just say that we opened up with Paul and Silas still in prison? The inner dungeon, didn't I say? With their, remember, their feet shackled and, and even after they were flogged with hard sticks, leaving many stripes and bloody stripes all over their bodies? Well, that is what I said, and that is what I said because... Acts 16, 22 through 24 told us that. And the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. This is, this is prior to this situation we're at right here. Verse 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet with stocks. But yet, verse 25 just told us that at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. To God, that would be the midnight of the same day that this happened. They were praying and singing hymns to God while the prisoners were listening to them. How is this possible? How how is it possible that Paul and Silas were able to sing hymns to God, which is generally, and you know what I'm saying here, Christians, uh, generally only 100% of the time, only a thing that Christians are going to do when they're having a wonderful time in their lives, right? You know what I'm talking about. You know, we only usually do this kind of thing during the times when everything's going wonderful for us and all the you know pieces of our lives are fitting together perfectly and there's no turmoil, there's no trouble and, and we're on the mountaintop, right, and join God and all his blessings and then, yo, know, praise the Lord. Hey, we got that job or, oh, hey, you know, the bills are paid. Oh, praise the Lord. But when the bills are behind and, and, and the job's not yet there or the car's got to break down or what, we're not generally singing hymns and praising God, are we? And you know what I'm saying. You know exactly what I'm saying, because I'm just as guilty as you are. Yet here, Paul and Silas managed to do just the exact opposite in their situation. They are in one of the worst possible situations that they could be in in life, and yet they're still praising God and singing hymns, so much so that the other prisoners, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, because there's our, there's our reference to there being other prisoners in this dungeon along with Paul and Silas, 
But even the other prisoners are listening to them as they singing praise songs and hymns to God while they're praying. So how were they able to still sing hymns praising God while in this horrible time in their lives? Well, they simply used their choice and they made up their minds to do so because Jesus Christ said that this kind of thing was going to happen. And he said, this is how you do it when this kind of thing happens. Where? Matthew 5, 11 and 12. He said this. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil and falsely against you for my sake. Verse 12. Rejoice. Here's what they're doing. They've had terrible things happening. They're obeying the word of the Lord. Verse 12. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Well, that's exactly what we find them doing. For Great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Paul and Silas here are doing exactly what Jesus Christ told them to do. They're using their choice to obey the commandment there by Jesus Christ in Matthew chapter 5. To all my fellow true born-again believers out there, and even to myself, this has to be one of the hardest commandments that Jesus Christ ever Gave. I'm not going to lie to you, not one bit. So hard is this command to keep. I've probably failed the Lord more times to keep this one than I've ever failed him in any other commandment that he's ever given in this whole word, 100% hands down. Christians, it is so hard to use your choice to keep this commandment of Christ when others are persecuting you for his namesake. It is so hard. Just almost impossible it's been for me right when it happens. As time goes on, God shows it to me. I I don't really know if I ever rejoice or if I've ever rejoiced. I think I've always been disobedient to this one. But I at least come to grips with it and come to a point where I'm at peace with it. But I never really come to the point when being persecuted for Christ's name that I've actually rejoiced singing hymns and praising God. And, And by golly, to my own shame and probably to yours, none of us have ever been persecuted the way Paul and Silas were here with literally being whipped with hard wooden sticks, clothes stripped off, practically naked, blood all over, hurt, pain, bruising, and yet... Here we find them doing exactly what Christ told us to do in Matthew chapter 5. Yet, here the keeping of Christ's commandment here really in essence, what does it come down to? It comes down to us as God's born again children choosing to do it because he said to. That's it. And the commandment was given, understand, in the light of us keeping it in the midst of bad situations. So you may be thinking, well, God, you know, you wouldn't want me to, Lord, it, these bad things have happened. Them people are persecuting me for Christ. I'm not going re- to rejoice. You don't want me to be happy because this happened. God said, yes, I want you to be happy just because this happened. Very popular speaker, Chuck Swindoll, pastor as well too, said this on this topic. Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. Now, I mean, I this... hands down, this this is spot on. Every situation in your life, your life is 10% what happens to you, 
90% how you react to it. If you react to something that happens to you in a, in a, in a flippantly wrong way, you, you, could, you could lose an hour of your life and, and practically ruin the day. As we all know exactly what I'm talking about. Or if you handle something 90% after 10% happens to you, you could, you could blow it off and you could handle it in Christ and you could move on and maybe waste two minutes of your day. It all depends on how we want to act on things when they happen to us. And it doesn't matter how bad things may be or how terrible things might look. If you're a true born-again believer, if you haven't fallen from grace and you're, you're still following and obeying and loving Jesus Christ, then you have a choice in Him to obey His command in Matthew 5 and to rejoice when others do evil to you and persecute you. And you can add to that. You can add the other facet of that. If you're a born-again believer and still on the path of Christ, that even if things seem in your world to be falling apart, because we're, we're, uh, we're kind of experts with that around here, you can rejoice because God promises you this in His Word, Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to His purpose. What are all things? Are all things just one thing? Are all things five things? Are, are all things literally all the things that could possibly happen to us? Well, they're all things. Everything, no matter what. And we know here, if we believe God and we take Him at His word, that Romans 8 says that we know that all things are working together for good for us who love God. No matter what it may be. So, Job, good example of this as this has been a struggle off and on in my life, and yet here I am in the book of Job again. I just keep on going. I just, I just Genesis to Revelation, and then I start over again. Well, again, I'm this, this time through, I'm back to Job again, and I was just reading Job 1 in light of this sermon, and I, I read this about Job, and this was about I was almost done finishing the sermon for the week, and God struck my heart. I had to actually add this in. Look at Job's response uh, so Job 1, uh, devil comes to talk to God about Job, and he's such a righteous man. And Satan comes to, to God and says, hey, look at this man, Job. And, and God says, you know what? All right, well, go. I'll allow you to test him. And so pretty much Job loses all his children. He loses like all of his sheep and goats, which was how he made money, which was how he was wealthy. He, he lost like property. He, he lost like pretty much all he was left with was like him and his wife and his house and like a handful of servants. And, and this man was like one of the greatest men of the Easts in the day, the Bible says. And so Job gets all this news and, and how devastating. You, you just pretty much lost everything. Now, think about us. One thing goes wrong in us for a day and, and oh, it's the end of the world many times. Job 1 2021, Job just practically lost everything. He hasn't lost his health yet. He's about to lose his health, chapter 2. But chapter 1, he loses everything else. Job arose, the Bible tells us, tore his robe, shaved his head, he fell on the ground, and worshipped. Wow. Come on now. I mean, really? Can we not take a lesson from this man? Verse 21, and he said... Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return, meaning he's acknowledging the fact that he's pretty much lost everything. Uh, the Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wow. 
I mean, wow, really that this is this this should be how we should you know operate Christians if bad things or when bad things happen to us. This is how we should operate. So to all my truly saved people out there that are listening to me, and I speak to myself as much as I'm speaking to you, we need to stop getting depressed and down and out, feeling like God has abandoned us when terrible things may happen to us or people attack us in the name of Jesus Christ. I tell you, we must use our choice to rejoice. This is something God gave me a while back that I've forgotten up until just this message here today. We must use our choice to rejoice. We can use our choice to get sad and angry and upset and when things don't work out our way or when people persecute us for Christ's name, or we can use our choice to rejoice because we know if we're truly God's, that all things are working for our good and that he loves us and he cares for us despite all the poo-poo that we may be going through today. The choice to rejoice when bad comes won't be easy, but it is something that God expects us to do. God expects us to operate in. And if you're going through terrible times, especially for Christ's name, then you must be assured that it's because you're truly on his path and can truly rejoice and don't not get all bummed out because you know why? God and Christ are faithful. They're not liars. They're not going to let us down. Simply, we must surrender to trust in God. Matthew 5 is not a suggestion. We have a choice to rejoice or we have a choice to grumble and complain when bad things happen to us and don't go our way. What will we choose to do? Let's make a pact. Let's, let's, let's set our hearts right before God right now and say, you know what, Lord, I'm going to make a choice to rejoice no matter what happens. And we all need to set our hearts before God this way. Moving on in our message today, I know we only got through one uh, verse, but this is something that God laid on my heart. It was, again, more probably maybe more for me than anybody else, but getting back to our message. So as Paul and Silas were making a decision with their choice to obey Christ's command in Matthew 5, rejoicing and singing hymns and praising God, think of it, even in the midst of their evil situation, look what the Lord does next. Don't, don't tell me that the Lord didn't see it and went, wow, my God. Boys, I'm so proud of you. Look at verse 26. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And God does some super, supernatural miracles here. Really, this verse just starts the string of them, hence the kind of the title of our sermon today. Just in that one verse, number one, he brings an earthquake. Now, now the, the miracle of the earthquake is the perfect time of its arrival. Okay, It couldn't have come at a more perfect time as these uncondemned Christians that have done nothing wrong are sitting in prison, then, number two, the cell doors open. Now, that's not so much a miracle in, in an earthquake. Yeah, I mean, doors are going to open, walls are going to fall down, things, that's pretty common. But number, number two, the second big miracle there this, in the string here, he causes this earthquake, causes the shackles to fall off their feet. So basically, everybody could go free. The doors are open and the shackles are off, and pretty much anybody that's in the prison could have just run off. In a normal earthquake, the ground shakes, yes, and even doors open, yes, but shackles falling off of feet, these were metal shackles that were had a key that needed, you had to put a key in to 
actually unlock them just like handcuffs would be today. I don't care how great of an earthquake that would be. I mean, death, doors falling over, walls falling down on people, yes, but shackles being loosed from people's feet, no, that is the the, the second super supernatural miracle here today. I'm going to call it the supernatural chain-breaking earthquake from God here. Is God a chain-breaker? Absolutely. Here he breaks the literal metal uh, chains apart as they fall off all the prisoners' feet, including Paul and Silas. Spiritually, he can break the chains of sin and death and oppression if we'll just surrender to Jesus Christ and make him the Lord of our lives. So the super, supernatural miracle of the chain-breaking earthquake happens here, literally taking the shackles off Paul and Silas' feet as they're singing praise to God in the midst of their terrible situation. And look what happens next, because God continues this string of supernatural miracles. Look at verse 27. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. The prison keeper is thinking with his human understanding. Remember, he's not a Christian. He's not saved. So he's walking by his human sight, not by the supernatural faith that God wants his children to walk by. And logically, he sees with his own eyes, and he sees the doors are all open. He he looks, I'm sure he heard the shackles kind of fall off, because this would have been a lot of metal kind of opening up and then kind of crashing to the ground. So he he sees this and he hears all this, and he decides that he decides, hey, they've all flown the coop, and you know what? I'm going to kill myself. He wasn't going to be able to chase down all the criminals that had escaped. Remember, I had mentioned earlier, there were more than just Paul and Silas there because there were other prisoners that were listening to them sing the hymns, right? And so everyone could have escaped really easily. So why was he going to kill himself? Because he thought that the prisoners had escaped? Well, because in the Roman system... This is a Roman-ruled territory, a Roman-ruled area. If the guard of any criminal let them escape, the guard was executed because the rulers held them accountable for letting the prisoners go. They, they kind of had this philosophy. Their life, the, the guard's life, for the life of the one that let them go. So instead of him waiting for the rulers to come and find out what happened, and let's say he didn't kill himself, he was just going to get it over with. He figured it was better to just do it right then than to sit and think about it and wait for them to come and then wait for them to say. He already knew the outcome. He already knew, hey, all my prisoners are gone. Well, he thought they were all gone. And you know what? I'm not going to stick around for the execution. I'm just going to take care of it right here. So here's the, here's the next super supernatural miracle in the string of miracles here. So just as he was about to run himself through with his sword, and here comes again the third miracle, the string of God's miracles here. Look at verse 28. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. How did Paul know that all the prisoners were still there? That, that's another miracle. God sovereignly caused every one of these prisoners in this dungeon to stay put. And if you don't call that another supernatural, super, super miracle, I don't know what you'd call a miracle at all. These criminals in this dungeon prison would have been chomping at the bit to escape considering the horrible conditions they faced there. Uh, remember those conditions. I mean, there were, there were rats. They, were, they weren't fed three square meals a day like we're given now. This was a dark, damp, 
dungeon, horrible place where they put people that generally people went in and they didn't come out. This is a this is a horrible kind of godforsaken place, as we'd use the phrase today. This, this is not somewhere where anyone would want to go like our prisons in America today, where people go and they don't want to get out because, man, they got everything. They got a library, they got whatever they want. Anyway, this is a horrible place. And, and at the chance of escape, which the prison keeper had already thought they were gone, if God had not done another super supernatural miracle here in this string and kept them all there by his power, they would have all been gone out of there post-haste. Yet, God kept them there, another super supernatural miracle. So Paul calls to him and tells him that all the prisoners are still there. Paul, there's no way he could have known. So that was kind of a miracle that he kind of even knew that they were all there. But look at the next next super supernatural miracle. Look at verses 29 and 30. Then he called for a light. This would be the prison keeper. Ran in and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved. Once this lowly prison guard realizes that this string of super supernatural miracles had just happened, he just knew that there was something that God, that, or I should say that Paul and Silas had with their God that they served. He knew his conscience convicting him that he had a one-way ticket to hell and knew that Paul and Silas worshiped Jesus Christ. Remember, this was their message back in the town, remember. They didn't didn't just walk around, you know, walking around drinking a cup of iced tea. They were there representing, preaching Jesus Christ. Everybody knew what Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke were all there for. Jesus Christ. And the prison guard, adding two and two here, he figured that if Paul and Silas' God could cause all those super, supernatural string of miracles to happen, even keeping all the prisoners there uh, when they really wanted to escape and had a chance to, then he needed... And he wanted the one, I mean the one God, that they preached, and that would be Jesus Christ. So what does he do? He runs in trembling. If we were unsaved, hey, heck, maybe even if we were saved, we might have done the same thing. Ran in and trembling and being like, oh my gosh, what just happened? But he says, what must I do to be saved? What a question, right? What a question. I wish more people here in America would stop uh, suppressing the truth of God and Jesus Christ and ask this question today. Uh, did you know that God Almighty and Jesus Christ wants so desperately to give out his eternal life? And people, at least in America, I'm not sure about the rest of the world, either think that they have it, but don't and are deceived, or they just don't have it and really don't care about it either. And, and this breaks God's heart. This man runs in trembling. He says, what must I do to be saved? Paul's response, verses 31 and 32. So they said, Paul, Silas, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your whole household. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Paul tells them to simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which again, remember from last week's message, he's not telling them to just acknowledge Jesus Christ with some nice, fancy head belief, like you'd believe in the sun or your car or the house across the street. No, he's not. He's telling them that they had to have a heart belief. Remember Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
you shall be saved. And so this is what he's telling him now. Now, the English really doesn't do it justice, but this, we have to know the whole Bible to know that believing on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation is more than just an intellectual head knowledge of him. It starts with a head knowledge, of course, because we can't, of course, even, can't, we're not going to put our heart trust in the Lord Jesus Christ if we don't even believe in him mentally. Okay, so we believe in him mentally first, but then secondly, we're supposed to believe on him with all of our being, with all of our heart. And then Paul finishes telling him that he, if he does believe with his heart on Jesus Christ, that him and his whole household will be saved. Is Paul saying here that he and his household would be saved by just the keeper of the prison alone, truly believing in Jesus Christ? Absolutely not. You can read that here in this section of scripture, but absolutely not. And how do I know that is because we got verse 32. See, we got, you can't just take one section or one verse. You have to take all the Bible together. You have to, when you read the Bible, you got to be careful that you just don't pull out conclusions from just one part of a sentence or one verse of a whole section or even one section out of the whole Bible. You got to read the whole Bible in context, exegetically, meaning you got to pull out the meaning from the Bible. Verse 31 says this, so they said, uh, Paul and Silas said to this keeper, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved and you and your household, right? Now, if you just took that verse, you'd read it to say, hey, it, it, as long as the keeper of the prison believes, then it's him and his whole household are saved. Well, if that was true, which it's not, that God has no grandchildren. Remember, that's an old saying that kind of sparked because of this idea here. If it was true that just because the jailer believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that his whole household would be saved, then why did we see what they did in verse 32? Why would they have done that? You see, verse 32 says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. If his house was already saved because he believed, Paul and Silas wouldn't have had to go to the man's house and speak the word. But because God has no grandchildren, that means that God, everybody's either a child of God or you're not a child of God. Nobody's a child of God because, well, my grand, my grandpappy was a child of God. Well, then that means I'm a, a child of God. No, no, no. Or, or because I'm a child of God, that means my son's a child of God. That just doesn't skip like that, like an electrical outlet or like an electrical socket. Each person has to either be a child of God or you're not a child of God. And we know that again because if he would have believed and his family would have been okay and saved just because of him believing, Paul and Silas would have never had to go back to his house, to the man's house, and preach Jesus Christ there. Right? So keep that in mind. Paul went to the jailer's family even after the jailer had believed because they needed to hear of Jesus Christ themselves and do what? Either once they heard of him, either A, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ with all their hearts and confess him as Lord, as Romans 10 says, or reject him with all their hearts and move on and push on as unfortunately so many do today. What does this keeper of the prison and his family do once they hear of the truth of Christ? After remember all the supernatural super string of miracles that the prison guard had witnessed? Look at verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and his family were baptized. They all exhibit the true fruits of repentance, which should follow the true conversion of a person. You see that this is what the Bible says. If somebody gets truly saved, then their fruits of their lives are going to 
bring forth the fact of them being truly converted. You see, the guard feels remorse for what the leaders did to Paul and Silas, and so he and his family wash out their open wounds. Remember, they would have been bloody, and they were laying in a dirty cell, so that's just kind of an atmosphere of disease. And so the jailer and his family take Paul and Silas after they're saved, and then they wash them out, and then right after, the whole family gets baptized. Remember, baptism doesn't save anybody. That's not what the Bible says. But it, again, it is one of those things that God's Word says that a truly converted person should do after they are truly converted. They should start then to do the things that God says in His Word to do. You see, that's how kind of salvation works. Romans, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. For we are saved by grace through faith, and, and not of works, least any man should boast, but we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. There was a pattern there. Salvation is by God's grace through our faith, us getting saved, and then afterwards, and that's not by any works, but then afterwards, after that, after we're truly saved, we were created for works. So then, therefore, what does that mean? Is That means that God expects us to do some things after we're saved. Not to be saved, but kind of like you get hired on in a job, and then once you're hired on in a job, they have duties for you. You can't do those duties for that job unless you've been hired by that job, like kind of going into a bank and feeling, well, I'm going to just jump behind the counter and start helping customers and take their money. Well, they're going to call the police and you're going to be in prison. But if you get hired by the bank, then they expect you to stand behind the counter and take people's money and make transactions and so on and so forth. So anyway, moving forward. And for even more evidence of their true conversion to Christ Jesus, that they really did get saved and then truly becoming born again. Look at what this newly converted family does next. Look, read verse 34. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. The family feeds the disciples and the jailer rejoices that he and his whole family believed on Jesus Christ for salvation. This would be a great day to rejoice for any family. Any family. I I would love for my whole family to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I pray for them every day. But unfortunately, only some of us in my family have come to surrender to Jesus Christ right now. But this, this is more fruit that they truly were born again and truly were saved. But it's not over. We, we have these last six verses where there's even some more, uh, more strings of, of super, supernatural events that happen in these miracles that God brings along in Paul and, Bar- and Silas's situation here. Read quickly. I'll just comment on them quickly as we go. Our last six verses, verses 45, or excuse me, verses 36 through 40. It says here, 36, and when it was day... 35, excuse me, 35 through 40, excuse me. And when it was day, the magistrates sent to the officials saying, let these men go. That's the next miracle. Look at the huge change of heart that these guys had. There's there's no way that these officials should have been so willing to let them go so quick after they had just condemned them and beaten them and thrown them in prison. 36. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul. He's excited. He's saying, hey, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Now, therefore, depart. Go in peace. He gets excited thinking that these speakers of the truth, the one and only true living God, Paul, uh, 
the, the ones that preach the one and only true living God, Paul and Silas, who should have never been attacked in the first place for their good deed that they did to the, to the demon-possessed girl. He was thinking that he was, they really deserved to be released. And, and so would we. Hey, praise God, that's a miracle. That's, that's a miracle. That's a divine miracle. Hey, come on, guys, let's go. They let you go. But we're not done because kind of like this is like a whole twist of events here. Verse 37, but Paul said to them, I'm guessing he spoke through the jailer to go back to them. They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come, I'll say personally, themselves to get us out. Paul here, very bold in Christ. He, he won't just duck out quietly. He wants these unjust rulers, knowing that they're Romans, he want, that, that they're beating him and, and him and Silas was unjust. He, he gets bold in Christ. He, he sees that, that God's laying all the chips down on his side and in his favor, and he boldly tells the, the jailers, no, 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 no. You tell them we ain't leaving until you come here with your face and you tell us, hey, let's go, because we want to confront you for the evils that you've done to us. I mean, Paul literally shows here zero fear. Really, he, he's playing all his cards. Well, such a bold move. I mean, really, if, if you just think about this, we were just beaten. We were just thrown in prison. We hear that we're going to let be let go. Hey, let's get out of here. Hey, praise God. God delivered us. Not Paul. Paul realizing that God was totally in control of their situation, right? Just what we read before, right? For we know that if we belong to him, all things work to the good of those who love God and are called to, according to his purpose, right? Paul realizing that God was totally in control of their situation, as again, uh, he is in the lives of those that are his all over the world, even to this day. And, and, and Paul, he makes this bold move here. And I, I wouldn't, personally, I wouldn't have done it. Personally, I would have just left, been like, I would have been rejoicing, kind of like Peter was earlier in Acts. You know, he got let go, hey, praise the Lord, and they kind of ran home. Paul, uh, Peter and John, I believe it was, and they were rejoicing all the way home. Did Paul's move, this bold move that he makes, pays off. Look at verse 38. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Lo Roman law stated that no Roman citizen should be, or should be treated or beaten without a fair trial, and Paul and Silas didn't get a fair trial at all. So Paul, knowing who was really in control, God and Christ, puts them on the horns of a dilemma. And he and here we see another super supernatural miracle. Verse 39. Then they come and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them. You could say beg them, as that's the kind of the context of that verse, beg them to depart. From their city. God miraculously caused trembling and fear to come upon these leaders. They come and plead with their current prisoners to leave. Now, just think if you don't think this is another super, supernatural miracle here, think just one time in your life when you've known that prisoners were okay, the, the, the people said, okay, the prisoners can go. You know, we, we find no cause for keeping them. Just let them go. And the prisoners just didn't run away, happy to just be free. Name me one other time, other than in the Bible, because I can't give you one, where any of the leaders had to come and beg 
and plead, basically, think of them kind of on their knees here, begging these prisoners. Paul and Silas are kind of still prisoners. They're still in the prison. They're still in the dungeon. Yet these leaders here, another miracle, one of the last ones here, these, these leaders come and beg them to leave the prison. Beg them. Who, who, the roles got reversed. Paul and Silas were totally down, and now they're basically totally on top. They're, they're standing the right with God and Christ going out. Ah, this is our this is our situation now. Total, total last miracle, super miracle, supernatural miracle in a string of the supernatural miracles here. So verse 40, our last verse today. So what did Paul and, uh, Paul and Silas do and along with Luke and Timothy? Uh, and they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. Paul and Silas meet with their beloved brethren and love on them some. I'm sure they wanted to share all the wonderful, super, supernatural miracles that had happened to them here. And then obviously the Lord called them somewhere else because they depart, go off to another divine appointment that the Lord has called them to somewhere else. Wow. God tells Paul, Silas, Luke, and Timothy to go to Macedonia, remember? They all go through a whole bunch of misery and pain while there. The demon-possessed girl comes and starts causing them grief. Then they get arrested for doing the wonderful deed of exercising the demon and getting the poor slave girl free from her demon. Next, they get arrested, then horribly, unjustly flogged all over their bodies, causing them many bloody stripes. Then they get thrown in a nasty, dirty dungeon with rats and disease, and their feet are shackled with horrible, probably urine and crap feces-covered shackles. But they, they don't let it get them down. They rejoice, obeying Christ's command in Matthew 5, knowing who was really in control of their lives. And God provides a string of super, supernatural miracles to follow them. The miracles start with the chain-breaking earthquake that results in the saving of the life of one jailer. He doesn't kill himself, but then ends with he and his whole family getting saved eternally. Then he even extends to, to Paul and Silas getting released, then becoming in control of their whole situation over those who had originally uh, were in control over them and had them flogged and thrown into prison. Wow. What an amazing string of super awesome, supernatural miracles, miraculous events here, right? Serving God and Christ, being a true born-again Christian is not easy, and it will never be easy now, Christians. It will never be easy now. Hear me. Please hear me. But, and this is a huge but, when you allow God to use you the way He wants you to, your life will become an amazing roller coaster of awesome events and super supernatural miracles that God will do with you and through you. Not to mention, you'll be amazingly fulfilled, really, like no drug or alcohol or any amount of money or things could ever fill you in your whole life. And I've lived on both sides. I felt the high of the alcohol, and I, and I felt the rush of doing evil and, and doing all kinds of terrible things to people, and that rushed the way that felt. And, but I've also felt the rush of preaching the Word of God and going out in the streets and preaching Jesus Christ to people and seeing conversion and, and seeing chains being broken and seeing miracles being done in the atmosphere and all kinds of miracles that God has done through things that I've done for Him. And I've lived on both sides, and let me tell you what, Serving God 
is way more powerful than serving alcohol or drugs or things or women or money or whatever you could name. Serving God is so much better. Anyway, if you are a truly born-again Christian, I, I hope you're letting go and allowing God and Christ to use you any way He wants to. And if so, I implore you to just enjoy the ride. It's something that God's laid on my heart off and on. Just, Ed, enjoy the ride. Stop getting caught up in all the lows and in all the highs and in all the mids. Just enjoy the ride. And, and you know, if you're in this position, you know that this is not easy to do. But you also know that God and Christ are worth it especially Jesus Christ for what he's done for us. But, but we can't always even just look to what he's done for us. So, so yes, he loved us when we were filthy, unworthy, and good-for-nothing sinners. Think, even when we hated or refused Christ, but God just showed me this just yesterday. An, another wonderful little nugget that God shared with me yesterday. I was out there, I was working on one of my cars and doing some maintenance on one of my cars. And I thought about even me and all of God's children now, how... You know, I, w- I was talking to the Lord, and I was like, Lord, you know, I don't think I listen as much as I need to, Lord. And I was kind of praying, Lord, help me to listen better. And then I just got this kind of like this deep grieve. And I was like, you know what, Lord, I, I don't listen anywhere near as much as I should, Lord. Help, help me to listen more. And then I realized, wow, I, I, sometimes I'm just so stubborn Sometimes I'm so rude to God. Sometimes I'm so stuck in my own ways and I can only see my own things. And then God showed me. He goes, I, I know, you know, we're working on that kind of thing. But then he showed me this. I was blown away because he, he shared this with me. He goes, yes, I know you're like that. But even though you're like that, I love you anyway. And see, you know what? Look at that and use that as motivation because I love you just like you are, even though you have all these inadequacies that you have, all these shortcomings, and isn't that just another reason why you should love me even more? And I was blown away. I was like, wow, Lord, you love me even when I am a brat, even when I'm a stinker, and yet you love me still? Wow, Lord, you know what? I gotta love you more just because you love me because I'm such a knucklehead sometimes. Wow. So my my prayer for you who truly love Christ and are born again is that you seek to know him more today and you desire to surrender to serve him more today and allow God to work in your life in such a way as you personally see all these super supernatural miracles in your life and God as God continues to change you and work through you to reach this world of the people that he loves so much that are refusing him like we used to. Now, if you're listening to this message, but you're not truly a born-again child of God, and you're not saved, but you find yourself here, I implore you today to consider the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ towards you who have rejected him your whole life up until now. Romans 5, 6-8 says this, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. That would be for you right now if you don't belong to Jesus Christ. You are ungodly to God. But that doesn't mean He hates you. It doesn't mean He's angry with you. He, he loves you, for it says in due time, Christ died for you. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. 
but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that would be you, and that while we were still sinners, while you are still a sinner right now, Christ died for us, and so you as well. What does that mean? It means he gave up his earthly life to offer you eternal life. For your sin, in God's eyes, needed an atoning sacrifice. It needed a replacement. God would never accept us the way we were. God had to do something in order to see you as justified and as perfect. And since that could never come through you, he sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you so that he could stand in our place if, if and only if, we turn to him. And if we believe on him with all our hearts, then God would see us through Christ, making us perfect, making you perfect. Now, to know him the way he wants to know, or excuse me, to know him the way he wants you to know him, and for him to know you like he desires to know you right now, he asks you to give up, basically. Stop fighting. He wants you to surrender to Jesus Christ. He wants you to make Christ the Lord of your life. He, he says it like this in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. He says this, Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. There, there's where we give up. There's where we say, you know, I'm going to wave the white flag of surrender. Jesus Christ, I need you. I'm tired of living this way. Uh, please save me. I want to be yours. I, I need you right now. God, Take my life and, and use it for your glory. Save my soul because I know I'm on the way to hell. This is, this is that step. Let him deny himself. Then take up his cross. That means, we, that means we start denying our flesh of all the things God doesn't want us to do, but that's after we get saved. Then he says, then follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life or surrenders or, or let, lets his life go in God's hands, uh, his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So you see, we could gain the whole world but lose our own soul, or we could lose our lives for Christ's sake and gain all eternity if we'll just surrender to him. So won't you please surrender your heart and your life to Jesus Christ today? For nobody has ever or will ever love you as completely as he already has and does. His love demands that you respond with loving surrender and submission to Christ. Will you make this decision today? He's waiting for you. Please come today and start the most exciting journey you will ever go on now and for all the rest of your life and for all the way into eternity. He's waiting for you. He loves you and desires to save you. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word today. Thank you so much for bringing it forth. Lord God, we know that was a difficult feat today, but Lord, thank you for bringing it forth and, and uh, letting us hear it today. Lord, we thank you for all the ways in which you worked in Paul and Silas's and Timothy's and Luke's lives, Lord God, as they all went together to work for you. This is the band of four. It was off working on... <laughs> saving people for you, Lord. I pray, dear God, that you would use us, those of us that are yours now, use us in the same way that you used these four back in their day. God, I pray that we would truly let go if we're yours. Lord, we would truly let go 
Lord God, and just give everything to you and let you use us like you want to use us. Or, Lord, if we're not there yet, Lord God, those that are listening to me today, Lord, that aren't yours, I pray that they would let go and just put their lives in your hands and stop striving against you and start striving to be with you. Please, dear God. And I ask all these things and I pray all these things in Jesus Christ's mighty name. Amen.